0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the 7 Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen. On today's show, I have one of my favorite people on the planet, another pilot. He's a Marine F-18 pilot, was absolutely incredible, was a, a Ford Air, uh, Air Controller there in um, the in Iraq with Jocko and Leif, and um, you know, part of the Extreme Ownership and Echelon Front team. Came to Flip Hacking Live, gave an amazing presentation about decision-making and responsibility and ownership, and so I really, really encourage you to stick with me and watch this one. It's incredible conversation Dave gave uh, massive insights and him and I really went back and forth on decision-making uh, risk mitigation and all the things that we're doing inside the simulator at the seven figure runway and altitude programs that we have so um, we're also doing a, um, a replay of flip hacking live so that link will be in the description uh, I'm excited about that it's totally free just check out the description if you got this via email or on social media the link will be there sign up for it if uh, if it's available while you're watching this or listening to this if you watch it later it's great content and we have a lot of other cool things coming. You can also apply to be in our simulator with our Seven Figure Runway program. Go to sevenfigurerunway.com, drop an application in, and you can uh, do some of the things that Dave and I are talking about here for your real estate business. How do you accelerate, uh, make better decisions, accelerate your, um, your action taking without just being told to take more action, actually feel like you want to and need to, and uh, jump straight into action. So um, without further ado, this is Dave Burke with Echelon Front, and him and I are talking about decision making. Is our playbook. What's up, everybody? I am back with another uh, great guest today. I'm actually really excited to talk to him. He had the opportunity to speak at uh, Flip Hacking Live this year, and he uh, did a a seminar for us like in 2019. We did uh, this whole event for our eight figure group, and it was incredible the way that we learned about the laws of combat and the things that Echelon Front did. And, uh, and is continuing to do, and so I'm really excited to talk to him today. We're going to talk a lot about, like, uh, probably decision-making, some of the things that you might be going through, and and some of the lessons that th- we can bring from the military to you guys in your house living and wholesaling businesses and, and running your entrepreneurial companies and all the things that you do. So um, Echelon Front, you may know this company. Um, Jocko is huge on social media. You've probably seen him or heard him or been scared by him at some point in a video, and um uh, I've got um, one of his uh, amazing trainers, and uh, he'll tell you a lot more about his position in the company and what he does. But uh, Dave Burke is on the show with me today. Dave, how are you?
1: Good, man. It's good to see you again. It made me a little nervous thinking how long it's been doing that mental math. It's been a lot of years, so I'm thrilled to be back with you. Uh, thanks for having me on, man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm um, I'm really excited to kind of uh, hear your take, because for those that, that didn't come to the event, like you gave a killer presentation at Flip Hacking Live in October. And so um, for those of you that missed it, I'm sorry, but we're going to do our best to give you some of those nuggets here on the show. So um, it, maybe you can give a quick background of who you are for anybody who just hasn't heard of Echelon Front, hasn't heard of Dave, yeah. hasn't heard of uh, whatever. So
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, as you already mentioned, I'm, uh, I'm a leadership instructor at Echelon Front. I'm actually our chief development officer. And then really that just means is that I've been with Echelon Front really since the book came out. And so two guys that I work for, names you people have probably heard, Jocko Willink and Leif Babin, they started a leadership consultancy called Echelon Front back in 2010 or 11. So a long time now. But the book Extreme Ownership, which they wrote, came out in 2016, late 2015 or 2016. Really popular book. You and I both have talked about it several times. The foundational principles we teach at Echelon Front come there. Well, once come from there, once that book uh, came out, the company really grew dramatically. And I was very lucky to have Leif and Jocko bring me on board the team right at the very beginning. If anybody's wondering why they would bring me to that team, uh, I was with them in Iraq. So I spent 23 years as a Marine Corps officer, most of that flying airplanes, which is something you and I have a lot in common there. Uh, but I spent a year out of the cockpit as a what's called a foreign air controller, randomly was connected to Jocko's task unit and Leif's platoon, worked with them in every major operation. That was back in 2006. 10 years later, it certainly never occurred to me in that time in between that I'd be with them, but they asked me to join them. And it was an easy, easy decision. And I retired after 23 years in 2016. I've been with them ever since. Why, why did they, why did they pick you?
0: Do you, I've never really asked you that. Like, uh, um, yeah. so, do you guys have a connection and stay in touch or what was that like?
1: Yeah, well, that's probably a better question for them than me. I scratch my head sometimes and, and wonder my wife, my wife asks me that question all the time. So, um, the truth is, is I think a couple attributes. One is, certainly, I wasn't a Navy SEAL. I was a Marine. I was a pilot. In a lot of ways, very, very different. And I think one of the things that was neat about our experience in Iraq, one was that it was a really bad time and place. It was a brutal deployment, extremely violent, a very kinetic, a very challenging time. And I think to take two different types of people, uh, Navy SEALs and Marine pilots, which may not seem that different, they were very different in terms of our backgrounds and our experiences. And to see how well we integrated, despite how bad things were, we formed a really good, close relationship. We got to build a really strong relationship, which, as you know, is the foundation of everything. And I kept in touch with Leif, not for thinking about a job, but just because we were so closely connected that we just stayed in touch and as they began to grow and they wanted to see how how other people other than them could deliver content based on the same experiences, I think in their minds, I was a natural choice. I was pretty nervous when they reached out to me thinking, how am I gonna fit in with this group? Uh, But it turns out, I think that common experience and then certainly uh, seeing how Jocko led his task unit and being part of that, it was much easier than I would have thought because there was so much more commonality there despite our different backgrounds. And so I'm super grateful that they thought of me uh, and it all came from that time together in Iraq.
0: Hmm. Well, in the beginning when you were answering, I thought maybe it was due to the comic uh, relief that you provide. Uh, So so Jocko was on the show probably like four years ago and we talked about the laws of combat. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to direct the folks that are listening to go back and listen to that for the laws of combat, because I think the way that we broke those down and the training that we did was very, very good. And what I would rather focus on instead of going into that. So if you read extreme, extreme ownership, you understand this responsibility concept, concept, this ownership concept, amazing book. If you haven't read it and yeah. listening to it is a game changer. It's so cool to listen to them, tell the stories themselves and read it. Um And so, I would say for those that are listening, go back to that episode and we'll put the description, we'll put the link in the description for you guys so you can listen to that. And what I'd like to talk to you about is a little, uh, like we talked about the OODA loop and decision-making process uh, at the event. I think this is really kind of where a lot of my focus is right now inside of our programs and a lot of the things that we're doing for our folks in this scenario-based training and simulation is learning how to make decisions and to try to de-risk the situation as much as possible. So if you could kind of go into that a little bit and just maybe some of the things that you covered at the event and um, how we can help some of the listeners because they get really get stuck a lot of times in making the right decision every time they're trying to be perfect.
1: Yeah, I really like that idea, and just like you said, the foundation of everything we teach is comes from the book Extreme Ownership, and you don't have to be in business to, for that book to be relevant. It's great for personal relationships, for family, so just like you said, I'm just doubling down on that. Go back and read that. Certainly listen to the podcast uh, that Jocko and Bill were on, because it really sets the foundation for the things that we teach. The things that you're supposed to do as a leader, take responsibility, build good relationships, lead teams, but the point you're getting at when you talk about what we described as the OODA loop, which is just... Just real quick it's just an acronym for decision making it was written uh, the concept was codified and written out by another pilot for you know decades ago it really just stands for observe orient decide act so for anybody that's wondering what OODA loop is you could google that too there's all sorts of information but all OODA loop uh, all OODA is 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 an acronym for a process for making decisions and listen to your point and and this was I thought a great uh, idea of yours and and you led me down a really good path to make it relevant is Decision making, especially as it comes to risk, that is about an an everyday function of a leader uh, compared to anything else I can think of. You're going to do that as much or more than anything else. You are going to be making decisions every single day, several times a day. And again, not just in business, not just in your company, not just in the decisions you're making for your professional lives, but in all aspects. So the application of UDA and what I really liked about the way you had me incorporate with, with your attendees was it wasn't just how do they do better in business? It was how do they do better in life? And I really appreciate you're you're the, listen, man, what I respect about you is you're the type of person that isn't just trying to make money, you're trying to help people. And one of the ways you help people is give them lessons, give them applications that apply to a broad range of life. And the OODA loop as a decision-making tool works everywhere. When you talk about risk, I think that might be one of the hardest things people struggle with is if this doesn't go well, what's going to happen? Well, there is no place in the world where you can make risk go to zero. We live with risk. And I think your expertise as a former pilot, you know this as well as anyone, risk never goes to zero. And I shouldn't say, I should say that we used to say this in aviation all the time. If there's one way to make sure nothing ever bad happens to you and your plane, don't go fly. But that is not a way to be successful. And so if you're going to succeed in the mission, you're going to have to accept that there is risk. And the mitigation of that risk is central to the decisions we make. It's not just your gut and your instinct. There's a process to do that. And if you are insecure or uncomfortable or don't like doing it, if you're going to succeed, you got to get better at it. And breaking open the OODA loop is a great way to start thinking about how you individually can mitigate risk through decision-making, and that applies everywhere in life. And we can go into as detail as you want, but I really like how you made that a central topic of my conversation to help them in, in all aspects of their life and why they were there as attendees.
0: You know, since that event, I've I've gone even like further and further down. Listening to your talk and everything that we've talked about, and then all the kind of all the risk management stuff that I've been bringing from the military into our community of real estate investors now is has opened my eyes to a lot of things. I think a lot of these people that are not used to making more risky decisions, so they've been in a in a corporate job or an employee, and they've really just kind of been told what to do. And if they make a mistake, it's like it's not that huge. Their boss makes a lot of the decisions. They just kind of do, and then, now they, they do what they're supposed to do. And now they come into an environment where, like, everything falls on them. Like, the direction of the company, the vision, yeah. the decisions, all these things. And what I've noticed is everybody is trying to make, like, the perfect decision. Like, yeah. they're trying to work through everything so that the, the level of success, like, the, the probability of success is as close to as 100% as possible. And what I realized is I feel like our decisions that we had to make if you're like 50 to 60% sure, you, you don't go all the way in, but you take the first step. And what yep. I, what I like about this, this OODA loop that, that we talk to is it's, it's a process to take the first step and then make an adjustment. Yep. So we're willing to step off when most people are just like waiting to jump where we're just taking like one step and one step and one step and just fine tuning it with, with a hypothesis. So an educated guess. Like w- when I think about, what I'm going to try to, it's, it's basically just a guess of what I think is going to happen. And then there's a couple of like paths that I could take that I think through of if thens. And I attribute it a lot to chess, like we're playing chess, right? In business, not checkers. So it's just like, we are actually thinking about if I do this, what, what can they do? What's the danger? What's the risk? What other moves could they have? And we think through all of that quickly. So, um, the, the next piece was that I wrote down was this risk management is with ORM and operational risk management if you remember there were two yeah. principles of that that really stand out to me when I've been teaching this one is we make the risk decisions at the right level so only make risk decisions at the appropriate level is the actual like quote and so a lot of times i have my team trying to make a risk decision that actually should be at my level or i'm not or or, or they're making a deci- they're not making the decision that they should be making uh, effectively so they're either making the, a decision that should be made at a, a different level and then, or they're making a decision or they're not making a decision they should make at their level and they're pushing yeah. it up to me. So both are problematic and yeah. both also come from me as a leader. If you go back to extreme ownership, because I haven't clearly defined, you know, what decisions are on their level and mine. And we've worked through that and discussed it and talked about. Um, I'm curious about your thoughts of that. Like how you, you guys go into these businesses and, and work with them. Do you see a lot of this, like inappropriate risk decisions at different levels? And yeah. how, how do you think the best way is for a company and team to be able to, to work through that, or even if like, I'm my I'm just I'm doing it all inside my business. How do I start making those des- decisions?
1: Yeah, I love the link that you just made, and to me, it's probably the central thing about decision making that often gets overlooked is that it is closely connected to leadership. Now, you alluded to something that's really important. Is I think one of the fears that comes along with when you have that sense that it all rests on your shoulders. You're not part of some big giant bureaucracy or if you make an error, it's so small and almost insignificant enough that there's no real worry about it. Now all of a sudden you shift the pendulum to the other side. Oftentimes that overreaction is if I get this wrong, the whole thing falls apart and it's all on me. Now, listen, there are certainly in life a few seminal events and some critical decisions that have massive, massive impact. But just by going through the process of what you described and the word I would use is incremental decision making. If I wanna get from A to Z, I don't have to go to Z, I can go to B and C and D and E. And just by recognizing that, if I can take shorter, smaller steps, I mitigate the risk right, right away. And that's one tool that I have in my mind is to hang on. Is this really an existential catastrophic potentially decision I'm making? Or is it something I need to just get out there and start maneuvering and testing the waters? The big advantage of what you just described is if I'm willing to make a decision, make a small one, but make a decision to move. And you're nervous, too nervous about that to step off. I may go from A to B then I go from B to C and C to D, D, and I start moving on. In a very short period of time, I might have made several relatively small decisions. But if I look back over my shoulder and you're still there, which you very likely will be because you're so nervous about making that big leap, I have the ability to have such a massive advantage over you, even if I'm less experienced, less well-funded. I have less resources, less tools, less of a team available to me at the time. And that's the power of that incremental decision-making, which is the OODA loop, which is I got to start making decisions knowing they're going to be wrong to some degree. It's very unlikely it's going to be so wrong that it's not recoverable. And the best thing I can do is take a step and go, you know what? Hey, Bill, I don't think this was the right call. Let's make a little adjustment here. Let's shift a little bit over here. Let's market a little bit differently. Let's communicate a little bit differently. Let's make some incremental changes. And then each step along the way, I get faster. I get more efficient. I get more effective. I also get more confident in recognizing I am not dealing with existential risk every single time I make a decision. And I get better at realizing I can do this. I get comfortable with this. I get better at it. And then that fear, that anxiety that's keeping you on the sidelines, that's no longer a factor for me. And that's when I start to see this, this incredible growth. And then I think to your point, the shift of that is, I also need the people around me to be comfortable doing that as well. There are times, and if I remember correctly, you would know this, I think we had a term called something like CCIR, a Commander, Commander's Critical Information Request, or something along those lines that says, hey Bill, if you're out there doing something, I want to establish some criteria, a couple of things where you got to come to me, really critical things. And I don't want you to come to me because I'm mad or, or it's a punishment. It's just at this level, because what it'll mean is the decisions that we're making, they're going to affect a bunch of other areas inside the team that you might not be aware of. So please call me. That doesn't mean I'm going to steal it from you. It doesn't mean I'm going to tell you what to do, but I definitely want you to include me at this level. The flip side of that is I also want you to know that there's a whole bunch of decisions, because of your proximity, your experience, and where you happen to be, that I want you to be comfortable making those decisions on your own. And if I can establish from a leadership criteria what you feel you can do yourself, what you feel you need to incorporate me, you and I build a better relationship, you get better at that, and then all of a sudden the fear of getting things wrong, the fear of making mistakes, that gets diminished and diminished and diminished to the point that, I have more confidence in you. You have more confidence in me. And then all of a sudden, this entire process just gets better and faster for all of us. And to be quite frank, that's how teams win. That's how you were successful. It does not work sitting on the sideline running the numbers once more while your competition's out there in the middle of things, making things happen. So you've got to get in the game. You've got to do it incrementally. And you've got to build a relationship with your people where they feel they can do the same thing.
0: I love that. There's, as you were talking, there's like the thing is making those mistakes along the way, both parties making the mistakes. The key that I've seen in really great teams and leaders is that they're learning along the way. So once you make that mistake, it's, so I used to say something when I was on on wing. So if you guys uh, that don't have aviation terms, when I was a flight instructor at Pensacola, we have, we take on early students, like they never flown before. They might have flown a Cessna, but they never flown a 1100 horsepower T6 with a ejection seat, oxygen mask, cheese suit, seven and a half cheese, all this cool stuff, Uh, fully aerobatic. So and they're flying it for the first time and I say look my job and so my job is to fly the of the first 12 flights I fly like 9 of them with them and then they go to their check ride and they go fly solo by themselves which is insane we have 1100 horsepower airplanes out there with ejection seats fully aerobatic The kids are flying on their own after like I don't know 25 30 hours so yeah. if you're in Pensacola just be careful so uh, I but I told them I expect you to make all the mistakes, like make every mistake. But if we make that mistake twice, that's when I'm going to start getting upset. You make the same mistake twice or over and over again. I know that you're not actually taking this seriously and you're not learning. And so that's the thing that I ask of my team. That's the thing that I, I really think about for myself is if I make a mistake, no problem, fess up to it, take ownership. Uh, okay. I got it. What did I learn from it? And how do I adjust and tweak that next time? So that is my number one expectation for anybody that comes work for me or or spends time with me, or we do something together is they're not making the same mistake over and over and over again. Because what I'm, what, what I get is that you're not learning along the way. You're not taking this seriously. You're not thinking about it. So every one of these like small things that happen or lessons that we learn, as long as we're learning from it and growing and adjusting, that is how we can build and develop. So that was like the, the biggest thing for me is as you were talking, I was like, you know what? I've seen a lot of people that they continue to make those same mistakes twice, and then mm-hmm. confidence goes way down. Yeah. And honestly, I expect you to pick it up faster and faster and faster as we start going, too. Once you go through this loop, the cool thing about this OODA loop that I love is once you understand it and get it, and your your brain starts getting trained to do this, it starts happening in the background, basically. And you get better and better and better over time. And really, the hard decisions, the risk decisions are new things, like new information, new decisions, new, new uncomfortable areas where you have your experience box is really small that you have to kind of stretch it with uh, new decisions to make. So that was something that I really in- encourage you all to do is look at your team, look at yourself and how quickly are we learning along the way to not make those same mistakes over and over and over again? Um, because that's something that just, it drives me nuts. Like it drives me absolutely nuts. Um, there's one concept that I've been working on recently because, you know, I'll just say our company, I do an end of year kind of review about the company and everything that we've done. Like it was a challenging year, 2023 for a lot of businesses, I think had a challenging year and a lot of people aren't necessarily talking about it, like how hard it's been. And, um, and I started thinking, cause some of my, we just did an annual planning session and some of my staff was like, I feel like, I feel like I, I don't have the rope to make the same decisions that I used to. I feel like, um, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm kind of taking a step back in my role and I don't know why that is. And um and I we we really started thinking I started thinking about these wartime and peacetime CEOs like a wartime and peacetime general where I and I, I over two days of them saying hey you know like I feel like a lot of the stuff that we used to be able to just do and like spend money and come up with ideas and just go do those things um, I'm not able to do those anymore and why is that and the realization I had is like I feel like now I'm at a point in the company where I have I have pulled away more and I'm having to come back a little bit to make the right decisions. We had to um, we had to make some personnel adjustments and some things like that inside the company. And I really feel like there's this wartime CEO concept or wartime general concept where sometimes like if you think of uh, undercover boss, where the boss needs to actually get down on the floor and figure out what's really going on because they've been yes. so absent for a while or haven't been as involved or or things have been great and they haven't had to worry about budgeting or manpower, or any of that stuff, because everything's been good. And so then redefining the decisions that are made at which level, what I basically said to to my team member was, you know, this is a decision actually that I want to take, that I need to make now. Like the, the moving parts that are happening right now that you don't necessarily see exactly everything that's going on all the time, this is a decision that I have to bring back. And that was a difficult kind of understanding for me. Uh she felt like she was taking less responsibility, like I was smothering her. But really as a company, like that 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 decision kind of moved up a level because of the environment. Yep. Because of what happened. I think back to like the rules of engagement that we had all the time, if you remember, is like, you know, hey, if this is going on and it you know everything's going loose, like weapons free. But like, off you go. But the decision that that changed. Like the rules of engagement, the commander's intent, all that stuff would always change depending on the environment, the battlefield. Maybe it's the administration. It's uh, the conflict that we're in. It's it's anything. It's training or real life. And so you had to understand that. And what I realized as a leader is I'm not doing a good job of telling my team and my staff that those things have changed. And so they feel like I'm pulling a lot back and I don't have trust yeah. in them when I have the utmost trust in them. But there's certain things that have to come back. So I'm interested in your take because this is kind of new for me to think through inside my company of this, like, I feel like we're kind of at war right now where we're not making as much money as we were before. These little decisions are becoming slightly bigger decisions. And and, I, and I, I'm the one who ultimately has the responsibility for that risk. And I want to take some of the risk back off my team's shoulders and, and, and grab it myself. So interested in your take on that, if you've seen that before.
1: Yeah, and I don't have a ton to add because the way you described it I think w- was really articulate and you described the scenario well. I made a couple of notes. The one word I wrote down and really got to it is I think essential for everybody inside this. And, and to me, you're really talking about decentralized command. You're really talking about where the decisions need to be made. You know, in best case scenario, you push those decisions to the lowest level possible, but you can't take every decision and push it down. Sometimes decisions had to be made, made at your level. And I think the component, especially if you might be pulling decisions back up a little bit the most critical element I think inside that is something you really alluded to but I'm just going to say it is how we describe it is you have to explain why you have to explain why this is happening. Oftentimes, we think of the why is if I'm going to send you out, let's say, Bill, you work for me, I'm going to send you out to go accomplish something and get, get some deal done. I want you to know why we're doing what we're doing, because if you run into a problem, which of course you will, every plan is going to run into a problem. I don't want to have just told you what to do, because if what to do isn't working, you won't know how to make decisions. So I want you to really know why you're doing what you're doing. You're, oh, I can read this environment. I can make these adjustments. I can make this decision. That why also works back upstream, though. So if I'm going to take something from you and pull it back, if I don't explain the why, you're going to make the immediate and pretty obvious assumption is I don't trust you. And that sometimes that's true. You described a scenario. If I'm flying with someone who repeatedly makes the same mistake over and over again, it's putting us at risk. I might start to micromanage the controls of that airplane to the point that I don't let that person fly that plane anymore. That's an extreme example. But I know you've seen that. I have as well. I have to be in a position if I want to be clear as to what's happening without them presuming, well, it's just that Dave doesn't trust me. I have to tell you why I'm pulling that decision back up. And oftentimes when decisions go back up higher up to the chain, higher in the chain of command to your level, what's happening is you're seeing strategic things in the landscape from your viewpoint of being up and out. And you're seeing components that are required to be uh, incorporated into this decision that they might not have at their level. I also think if you can associate, if there's an opportunity is when we're going to bring this back down to your level or what the criteria is to open up that decision-making space and every opportunity, I want to explain why I'm doing what I'm doing to include why am I micromanaging you and what can we do to get out of that, that current situation. And again, I think the parallels to aviation are really clear. My assumption is when you have a student who makes a mistake, you want to explain what that was and what is the criteria? What do they need to do to demonstrate that you have confidence in them literally when they're by themselves to make a good decision that's going to keep them, the rest of the passengers safe, or whatever it is that we're doing in that airplane. They have to know what that is. And I think just as important, they have to know the why behind that. So I think the way you described it makes a lot of sense. And if you can help that person understand why it's happening, it's going to do a lot better to helping, in this case, her understand OK, I see what's happening. But also, what do I need to do to regain that trust so I can get those decisions back down at this level over time?
0: Yeah, I I like that. Uh, the, the thing that I wrote down when you were talking is I honestly I don't think I realized why until we had that conversation. Like I I didn't realize why. And um, and then like seeing the entire last year put on one whiteboard. And say, oh, this, this, and like you said, decentralized command to the point where you're pushing too many decisions down, and be, and like saying, hey, like this was actually my decision to make. I was trying to delegate it to you, but it's it, it's my risk to take. Like yeah. it's for me, um, it's my decision, and I let you do that. And it was 100% my fault. So like seeing that, I didn't, I don't think I realized why until she brought it up to me, and I was like, I didn't even realize I was doing that. Like <laughs> I really didn't. And now it's so clear. And then we sat back and and looked at like you said, the landscape, what was going on, all the different uh, factors at play, everything that I understand, which is the the marketplace, the financials, the everything around. And we are doing after action reports basically for the year going, whoa, we're debriefing and going, I can't even believe, like, how did we get here? Okay, now let's figure out what happened. And so the big realization I had was the fact that There's going to be times where it ebbs and flows, where we can actually delegate more and we need to pull some more back. And that's really a fine line, like you said, when you have to pull something back that you have, that you've given away for so long, and it's not micromanagement. It's not the fact that I don't trust. It's all, it's the fact that, Hey, maybe this wasn't something that I should have given you in the first place. Or secondly, it's, Hey, the landscape and everything is changing. And where I, where I need you and want you is, and as a company, frankly, we have people who were in a more managerial position who are in more of a doer position right now, you know, as we changed a bit and got a little bit leaner, we've had to actually go back and I'm doing things that I wasn't doing last year, but they're required of me to get to the goals and the plans and the path that we want to get to. And it's part of our entire like business plan for 2024 that I'm saying, okay, Hey, um, you know, I'm getting back in there with you guys. Like we're, we're going to have to get, we're going to have to, you know, make some adjustments here. And I think communication is the second piece, right? Like you said, it's, it's a fact that we got to get on the same page on a more regular basis. And it's just not even something, if she hadn't brought it up, I probably would have just kept going. She would have got frustrated. She probably, she probably would have quit and been like, he doesn't trust me what's happening. And I don't know how long that's been going on for, I could just like see it.
1: And so when you have
0: these open and honest conversations, it's really helpful.
1: Um, just the next piece of, Go ahead. I was just gonna say you just brought up a point. I'll, I'll keep it super short. Is I think what you said was so important, though, man. Because the other side of decentralized command, which is okay, Bill, you work for me. I'm gonna push decision making down to you. I'm gonna I'm gonna show that I trust you. If I do that too much and I get too far away from you, the risk is you think I haven't heard from Dave in forever. I haven't talked to him for. The risk is that you think I don't care. And so decentralized command, pushing decision-making down isn't always just the right the solution. Because if I do that too much and over overdo that, like you described, and you don't have those conversations, you don't ha- have that interaction, I might think over time that this guy doesn't actually really even care about me. So I think the way you described that shows both sides of that. We don't want to micromanage. Sometimes we have to pull decisions-making up but also just empowering people that by itself isn't enough you can overshoot that mark as well and i just thought it was just a really important point man i know we got other so, things to discuss but i think the way no, you said you that no you are was exactly right and and here's
0: a an, here's a here's a perfect example so what you're saying is spot on because we we were sitting there and i didn't attend the quarterly meetings this year for for the company as we were building out kind of the plan i did the annual meeting and they, I, they basically were like we want to figure out how to run this and we want to give you, we want to move you out more. Like, and, and so I was like, okay, well, Hey, I accept that. And so I was like, I, if I don't need to be there, then you guys got it. Like I I'm cool with that. Like I'm good, but I'll be there if you need me there. Like I like to be there, but I also don't want to make you feel like I'm micromanaging. I'm, I'm casting all the vision and the plans. And I do kind of control a meeting when I go into it sometimes, like I listen, but the ideas, they're always like, Oh, what do you, what do you think? What do you think? And I try to shut up, but it's really hard. And so so then what we did was they said, we said, look, I think that the owner needs to be at the quarterly meetings. The owner needs to be more involved. The visionary needs to be here. And that's some of the things that we're missing. And so it was like, they didn't want me there, but, and I wanted to be there, but I, I feel like we should be there. And they agreed that I should be there. And so what happened was they were like, I, I don't, they didn't know what else I was doing for the company while I wasn't there. And so what we did was we took this we took this sheet of paper. And they were like, hey, you know what would be great is if we could get more of your time, like to ideate and come up with things and and spend more time with us as a leadership team when we're coming up when we're like brainstorming and coming up with all these ideas. And I was like, okay, great. Like put it on the board. Like let's put everything that we want bill for this year. Let's put it on the board. And so they wrote all these things on the board. It was and there's a lot of new uh, kind of managers and directors inside the company. So they're putting it on the board, like more time with Bill, really kind of want to just like, you know, have his energy and stuff like that. And so there's all going on the board. I said, all right, well, let me list all the other things that uh, that are going on too. And we'll figure out what I don't do so that I can do this. And so it was podcasts. It was videos. It was like uh, the events, the live events. It was traveling to other groups and masterminds. It was doing other people's podcasts to promote our products and our uh, everything that we do. It was about um, Oh, all the other, uh, meetings that I had with potential affiliates for what we do and, um, and money like raising capital and and all of these things, like traveling all over to go to other events and speak from stages and writing a book. I'm writing a book right now. And so I put all that stuff on there and they're like, and this is just one company. Like, I don't even know how you can do all this. So it gave them perspective of all the other things that are going on that they think I'm just like, and they didn't think I was sitting on a beach somewhere, but sometimes sure. I am. Sometimes I am, but the brain is always on and I'm always like thinking of things. So it gave them a lot of perspective of like, wow, like, okay, maybe we shouldn't, we should, we shouldn't ask for just time to talk. And I said, look, if you look at that board, like we have to kill some stuff on there anyway. So, because we got to free up a lot of, of what I'm doing to, to bring me back in to do a little bit more of the, the stuff that you guys want to do for 2024. And let's figure out, do we want to stop doing the book? Do we want to stop working on the TV show that we're, that we're going to start filming this year? Do we want to stop doing all of these other things that are going to drive you lead sales director, that are going to be doing mark free, uh, unpaid marketing for you marketing director, to, um, to be at the event for you event director? And they just were like, okay, we, we're, going to, we're going to stop asking for more and more and more of you. And we're going to figure this out. And so what it did was it it raised their expectations for themselves, not just for more time and more stuff and more whatever, but it, it said, wow, like I'm capable of a lot more too. And so it was really interesting to see that because I think that's piece of the communication that, that gets missed, especially with an owner of a business where they, they've never run a business. So they don't know what else goes into it. And like all the financial meetings and planning and strategy and all these other sessions, the, the CEO COO conversations that we're having once a week for two hours, like, they don't look at my calendar. They're not sure that all that other stuff is going on. So it was, it, I thought that was really good to see for them to uh, to realize that there's a lot more going on inside the business than they really see. And it gives their, them perspective of their So it, for anybody's listening, and if you have a team, or even if it's just you, I would encourage you to do that exercise and just write all that stuff on the board. And to like keep, kill, combine some of the things that you're doing that might not be working. Uh, probably 80% of the stuff that you're doing is, not producing results, and twenty percent is producing eighty percent of your results. So, like, take a look at that. And when the team looked at it, we really were able to triage that. and And they were like, "Okay, like, like I want you in this meeting, in this meeting." And and that was great for me. It all worked out. So, um, there's something in risk. There's one more piece of risk that I want to talk about before we wrap up, and it's, um, it was. Another operational risk management principle. So there's two that I've really been focused on. One is what we talked about only make risk decisions at the appropriate level. And the other one is we only make risk decisions when the benefit outweighs the cost. And this is what I've been teaching a lot to our um, runway members and our, um, our real estate mastermind members is we talked about like being hundred percent certain that it's all going to go right. We're never going to be there. We need to take that first step. We kind of went through some of that stuff, but what I really started realizing they, could, they weren't weighing quickly in their brain that I think we do sometimes without even thinking the way with we've been trained, is what is the benefit and what is the cost? So if we can weigh that and the benefit greatly outweighs the cost, then we should take that step. But if benefit and cost are even, maybe it doesn't make sense to go or obviously if cost is way up, it's it's really a risk analysis. So I was thinking about this, we would always fill out these forms for ORM before we went flying. And yeah. it was like the the early pilot is is like safer than that mid-tier pilot. So like under five hundred hours is usually a more safe score than somebody who's like 500 to a thousand or 500 to 1500 hours, because those people are like, been there, done that. And that's where I got to in my real estate business. When I started making some bad decisions is I thought I could walk on water and I'd make money on almost everything. And I was $70,000 loss, $50,000 loss. I started doing too much and getting too, too confident. And then I got more experienced where the more you do, the safer you are. And so those are like the, the interesting dichotomy that I see in flying that a lot of people don't think about in business is you have that mid middle tier where you think you've got it rocking and rolling, you've been there, done that, and you just start making yeah. high-risk decisions where the benefit does not greatly right. outweigh the cost. And so if you do that analysis, I think it's really going to help you. So I'm interested for your thoughts on that, um,
1: that piece. Yeah, I love that conceptually thinking about that risk curve of of inexperience versus experience. And, and my experience in aviation was the exact same as what we saw. I think two quick things come to mind. One is the way you described it was really good. And it made me think about reminding everybody, the process for doing this doesn't change. The OODA loop is a process or whatever the methodology is of taking this incrementally, that doesn't change. Oftentimes you get to the people like Bill who after a while, they look like they're not even doing anything. They're just getting from A to Z. It's almost like he's tele- teleporting himself. And what you have to recognize is, is actually all that's happening is that process you're doing. Of course, it looks like it's, it's almost subconscious or, or natural, uh, but it's not. It's, it's, it's still happening. It's just happening so quickly. And the adjustments were being made so rapidly that it seems seamless. And if we get to a point where we look at that, it looks like we're not doing that process anymore. What we'll start to do is skip steps. We stop observing quite so much. We'll stop orienting and analyzing so much. And if we get confident to the point that we're cocky and complacent, we'll lose sight of the fact that we are still going through those four steps. We are still doing that. Now, we might be doing it extremely fast, extremely efficiently, and making really good, what appear to be really significant changes, but there are really a lot of small incremental changes just very quickly over time. Then we can run into problems if we think we can skip steps. If our confidence gets so high that we're, we're like, I'm immune to the, to, to the pitfalls of this, then you can start running into problems. So even with a lot of experience, the process is still the same. You just want to be better, faster, and more efficient at it. And the other side, I think, to keep our egos in check so we don't suffer some of the things you just described, which we are all potentially open to uh, falling into that trap is – when you make your first move, you've done your assessment, you've done your analysis, now we've gotta make that step, don't forget, everything to that point is just a guess. And you said that extremely well. This is a hypothesis. And sometimes, my experience in the past that work out can lead me down the path of thinking, I know what's going to happen. And if we can remember, we actually don't. We don't, it's a guess. And nobody likes to say, you know, Bill, uh, I'm I'm in charge. Uh, And I guess maybe we should do this. It doesn't breed confidence. You don't look at me and go, I want to follow this guy, Dave. But the truth is is that what I'm telling you, it's still a guess until we get out there and start to move. And if I remember that the hypothesis, the scientific method, the first piece of truth data is when I get out there and get the feedback, I will stay a little more humble. I'll stay a little more open to the potential risk. But I'll mitigate it even more by still being willing, despite all my experience and all my success, making those changes and recognizing that that assessment was wrong. I need to make an adjustment and it helps keeping uh, us from falling into that pitfall, which is I get this thing right every time. And you A, either start skipping steps or B forget that you're still just guessing in this, this hypothetical until you get out there. And the cool thing about that is the truth is what we want to know. I want to know is my, was my assessment good. I want to know if my analysis was good. And if I reject that and resist that and don't keep an open mind to it, I'll stay on the same path leading me in a bad direction because my ego isn't open to admitting that I I was wrong. There's nothing wrong with admitting that you're wrong unless like you said earlier, I don't correct that mistake. And to your point, I start making the same mistake two, three, four times. You talk about trusting that pilot. Bear in mind too, this is your, sometimes your people watching you going, hey, the boss is, is is falling into a bit of a trap here. And I've and I noticed the boss isn't as humble as he used to be. The boss isn't willing to make corrections like he used to be. That works in both directions, that trust. And so I really like the way you said it. The two things come to mind is it's still a process that never changes. And I've got to be humble enough to know it's still just a guess until I make the first move. And I have to correct on that truth data, that feedback that I get that tells me, it turns out you weren't perfect, which is totally fine.
0: Yeah, I think for anybody listening, a easy exercise to get started is very much, as Dave's talking, I'm thinking about this, like the way the brain works. There's like your brain's making 20,000 decisions a day and 5% of them are slow and 95% of them are really fast. I mean, you go into tons of examples of like driving your car and getting off on an exit that you're comfortable with and you're on autopilot. That's like the 95% like fast decisions that are being made without you even thinking about it. What we talked about earlier in the show is the new stuff, that new stuff that's that, in that 5%. Those are the really thought provoking, like challenging things that a lot of times you get stuck. Well, the way I look at it is the goal is for the, the brain's trying to conserve energy. So it's running through these decisions. And, and as you go through them, like we talked about the OODA loop, you go through there, you do it once. You go again and again and again. And I make these similar decisions over and over and over again in this process. And it's, it's trying to move that from the 5% to the 95%. It's just like, how quickly can I get this decision that seems hard? I'm burning a lot of calories. It's stressing me out. How can I get it to be an easier decision? And like Dave said, I thought was interesting is, is now you got to be careful moving too fast because then you'll, you'll miss something. You'll skip a step. So. I think a good exercise that I would give you early on is, if it's a challenging decision, it's something you feel stuck on, is is weigh the benefits and costs. Like actually write them up. Like what are the benefits? What what is the likely upside of this? What is the what's the what's the probability of that happening? What is the downside of this? What's the probability of that happening? And you actually start sketching it out instead of just like letting it go in your head, and and it's always going to pull you. uh, Some of you might be very risk. Averse. It's going to pull you to the no. And some of you might be so risk tolerant that like you don't have the experience to know that you could get totally crushed. So writing it up there is really a good way to say, okay, like, does the benefit greatly outweigh the cost? Are the benefits and costs somewhat even? Like, what is the worst case scenario that could happen here? What's the probability of that? What's that going to do? What's the best case scenario? What's the probability of that? And again, all educated guesses. Like, and if you don't have a lot of background, the hard part of an educated guess is you're not that educated. So you have to first get educated, understand the foundation, go to trusted resources, mentors, people like that, and say, hey, what do you think about this? I'm thinking about doing this. And then you're bringing in a team. You're bringing in some other support. You're bringing in folks that do have some experience. That's what when Dave and I go flying, we didn't fly on like day one. Here's the keys. Take it. And good luck. <laughs> Hope you make it. Like we might be able to take off, but we definitely wouldn't have landed. So it's really, we probably wouldn't even be able to start the thing up. And so it's these kind of like entry level steps. The thing that I love about this like simulation model that we're doing right now is is to get inside of a simulator really is as, as a zero risk as possible when it comes to this of like money stuff. You might hurt your feelings a little bit or realize that you have some foundational holes. And then what we can do is we can plug those holes before you go out into the real world and actually have to make an offer, actually have to put money at risk. And even then, like Dave talked about, you can't mitigate risk to zero, but we can reduce it. We can reduce the risk and and also increase your confidence. So those are two things that I really got from this talk is how do we build up your confidence in making those decisions in a non-threatening environment and risk-free environment first without having to also take forever to get you trained? What I see is most business owners and most leaders and most real estate investors and everyone that I know, we just go try to get on-the-job training and we don't do any actual training. Whereas everybody else, athletes, pilots, military, all high risk professions and and people who are like doing really big things, they're spending 80, 90% of their time training and 10 or 15% of their time, like I spent almost my entire career training. But the way we train is like, when you're training, you could die. Like it's not just like low risk training. So out there, I feel like we don't do hardly, we don't do any training. We do some foundational understanding and learning with like courses or ask me anything kind of Q&A we don't do any actual training where we're putting you in the driver's seat and let you drive in a low risk, zero risk environment. So I think that there's a couple like tactical things that you can do actually benefit, like weigh the cost and benefit, and then figure out how to, how to get around people that have that experience that are not telling you what to do. Like they're letting you drive and make the decisions and then gu- guiding you along the way. So that's kind of what we've built, what I'm excited about. Um, uh, Dave, any thoughts on that
1: before I wrap up? I got a, a little inside scoop on that when you sat down with me when we were together. And I think that concept, that simulation aspect and how how taken for granted that is for, for you and I, because we grew up with that and everything yep. we learned was practiced, uh, you know, in multiple different simulators before we did in the real world and how rare that is to invest in the time to do that elsewhere. And I think there's the value proposition that is off the charts, man. I, I really commend you for thinking of it in those terms because I think one of the biggest challenges people have is they're just afraid to get it wrong, which is totally understandable. If you told me to go fly an airplane without practicing it, I'd be afraid to get it wrong and probably would have prevented me from getting into an airplane, which could have undermined the entire future. So I think you're recognizing some of the human nature there. And then what I think is a pretty easy risk mitigator uh, of of doing that and yeah you know what your ego is going to be at risk there's going to be an assault on your ego because you're going to be proved to not be perfect you're going to get some take some hits uh, on that but you want to talk about an easy price to pay which was discovering that you're flawed discovering you're not perfect discovering you need to get better at certain things and that confidence you'll build to go into the real world i think that's a that's a potential game changer man i really commend you for thinking of in those terms
0: yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. And I think we're only at like the beginning stages of what I, I hope to be like a, a total movement inside the personal development industry. Because I, I think like a lot of what you guys did, like a lot, I went back to that in 2019. Like there were exercises that were very much like, didn't seem to be best business related, but were totally relate, related. And the way that they learned, like they still remember that stuff. So like putting them in there totally. to make the decisions and those kind of things all like shaped this kind of, I wish it didn't take me four years to four or five years to realize that 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 we were kind of doing it wrong for a long time, you know? Um, so I thank you guys for that too. Hey, um, how can people find out more about you, uh, you guys, if they want to follow you or, or listen or whatever, like how can they learn more if they absolutely love this? And is there, is there anything that you need that I can help you with our audience? The easiest
1: way is echelonfront.com. Most people out there have heard of Jocko. There's obviously a Jocko podcast. Sometimes people don't realize Jocko has a leadership consultancy, which is called Echelon Front. And so it's not just the content he creates in the books and, and what he puts out on social media and the internet. It's also the work that we do as a company. We have a huge company. We have 40 people. It's like a real company. And We're dealing, you know, we have client events, probably 40 a month. So we're more than once a day, we're interacting directly with clients. If anybody wants to connect with us, me or anything, echelonfront.com is the place to go.
0: Awesome. And I can give you guys a absolute, like 10 stars out of five, like is absolutely incredible. Every experience we've had with you have been, have been great. I know you guys do like musters all around the country and some really cool stuff. So I encourage anybody, like it's very rare that I bring somebody on the show and say, go promote your stuff. Like, but there's nobody better to, to go learn from and, uh, obviously uh, me and them, let's, let's stick with that. So I'm, I I'm excited that, for the future of you guys. You've helped me a ton. You've given me pers- like massive perspective shifts. And honestly, I'm about to walk into a room full of like, 150 kids and their parents and then another like couple hundred, I don't know, three, four, five hundred on Zoom and just getting fired up to talk about this and leading them and shepherding them on their path to financial freedom and and business and all the stuff that they want to do as we we launch this thing for kids. Uh, I'm just thankful that we took an hour right before this and I get fired up right before I get to walk on stage in like 15 minutes with them. So it's perfect, um, dude. Thanks, Dave, for everything. Uh, We'll put the link to their website and everything in the show notes, the email, stuff like that. And I appreciate you spending time with us, and I'll see everybody on the next show.
1: Appreciate you too, man. Thanks for including me.